you know, in the fast-paced life that we live. And I know all of us do. Uh, I, I don't think, like I said, I told my wife the other day, I'm, I'm 75 and life hasn't slowed down. I'm waiting to when they said, well, one of these days life will slow down for you. So what I have to do every once in a while is I get in my Jeep and I go sit by the water. It's very still. It's very quiet. Just me and the Lord looking at the creation that he made, thinking about creation and the waters. And that's my recipe. When things get hectic, I hit my Jeep. That has become my office for the last 20 years. I, that's where I do some of my best thinking, if uh, you can determine any of my thinking being best. So I, I suggest that. Get off social media for a while. Don't worry about what the world's doing. Pray and talk to God about what he's doing. Amen? Amen. All right. Thanks, God, Rachel, for that. This morning I want to talk to you about a warning that Peter's giving. If you remember, you can outline Second Peter, wheat, Christians, tares, false prophets. Chapter 3 is harvest. That's the return of Christ. That's when he, as it says in Revelation, reaps the earth and we're at home with him forever and a day. And his concern is living behind. Peter had said in the previous verses, he knows that he is going to die soon. And he said, I know that because Jesus on the seashore told me that. And so his concern, even in that, is for his people. If you remember in the epistles that Paul wrote, even from jail, he was writing these letters. He was encouraging believers because his concern was what's going to go on, trying to fortify you. And if you will look at worship services in that way, it's simply we want you fortified. Because there's only maybe an hour or two hours a week that you're actually here or in a unified worship. The rest of the time you're having to contend with that world out there. And not long ago I was talking with a fellow and he said, Pastor, how did we get here? And I said, what do you mean get here? And he said, this, this world, this society, the craziness that's in there, how did we get here? And I told him that all along in the world, there's been, each generation has its own amount of craziness. But as I begin to research, today we're going to talk about the Word of God. Because that's what Peter has stressed. If you know the truth, you will not be fooled by the counterfeiters. If you know the truth. And the Bible is truth. Not from a human perspective, but from God's perspective. A God that before there was anything, he was. And he knew in his mind, intricately, down to every individual person that has ever been created, the beginning and the end and everything in between in that life. He knows the path of the world. Nothing is surprising to him. But when you look at our society and its mores and its valuable values, I ran across a crazy statistic. And I know you 
A lot of people don't think much of statistics because you can move them to say whatever you want to. Right now we're going through the thing. On Monday, the Democrats are winning. On Tuesday, the Republicans are winning. And on Thursday, they don't really know what's going on, which is the honest answer. But I run across this, that in 2022, 20% of Americans believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, 20%. Now, if you're saying, well, it's the places in New York and that's, you know, California and all those places like that, that's the total Americans. You're right. So it, that same survey surveyed Christians, those that claim the name of Christ. So I'm thinking, okay, man, this is going to be good. Yeah, it's at 25%. 25% of the people who profess to be Christians believe the Bible is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. That, my friends, is why the society is like it is. You see, when they did some research, they found at the end of the 60s and the early 70s, the percentage, the number of people who actually believed some in God or God's word took a drastic fall. It wasn't just falling gradually. It just came off the chart. And when you go back, you and I, we lived through the 60s and the 70s. We can understand how culture. Well, it just didn't start there. There was a period in history called the Enlightenment and I kind of laugh at that. That was in the 1500s. And this was the rise of your philosophers. And they, they began to write and introduce theories. And uh, their theory is something they came up with. And then they set out to prove that their theory was right. Now, that's not really the way you do you begin with a theory of something and you test it at every point. And if it fails at any point, it's a bad theory. It's not true. Philosophers are different. They come up with a theory and then they make their own proofs. And so they challenge the authority, the inspiration of Scripture. Here's what they come up with. Materialism. That means material possessions and physical comforts are more important than spiritual values. That's materialism. Gnosticism. This is an attack on God as creator, an attack on Christ's deity. We'll find this was a major concern of the other early apostles. And this is one of the things Peter was addressing. Pantheism. This is the worship of the creation and not the creator. In other words, you can go worship a tree and call him God. But here's my warning. This is Florida. If it's lightning, you might ought to leave your God, okay? I'm, I'm just saying, if you want to worship that tree, do it in sunny weather. Skepticism. This just means you doubt all truth. Nothing is truth. Everything is subject. Now we've moved to your truth and my truth, and we all live in a happy coexistence where truth has vanished. All of those things filtered 
and opened up the door for liberalism. And liberals were those what they call Christian theologists that begin to prove the word of God, but yet they set out to disprove it. They, it was a direct attack on the truth, the inerrancy, and the inspiration of scriptures. I know a major Christian denomination, major Christian denominations, that at one time their seminaries turned so liberal and the professors began to write the uh, commentaries that the students study that they actually denied the, the miracles. Many they outright denied. They said Moses did not part the Red Sea. And they named a place called the Reed Sea, which has about knee-deep water all the time from history. Now, to me, I would look at that as a miracle. For God to take knee-deep water, raise it up to be great big waves, and destroy the army of Egypt. They just simply denied it. Others, they cast doubt on it. And the problem with that is that they ushered this into the culture. The culture is our society, our world. The things that you hear today. I can remember how they began to operate these things. You know, television came into being. I I can remember our neighborhood, a little mining town. My neighbor, he worked for the railroad, made more money than daddy, and he got a television. And every night, the kids and adults would gather on his front porch and look through the windows to see television. And what did television do for us? They began to do things like bring a homosexual in, make him cute and funny and laugh, and everybody began to laugh. Isn't that nice? Isn't that cute? They began to go from a sensor. Do you remember the sensors on TV? When they had live TV, your TV screen would just go blank because these sensors had a stable moral value. Used to, edgy stuff could not come on the TV till after nine o'clock. They figured kids went to bed at night. I don't know who figured that out. If you've had kids, you know you may put them in bed at nine. Today, they just get out their iPhone or iPad and just keep going. But now everything is open season. Immorality, immorality, immorality. And the reason is we have lost in culture any steering mechanism. It's like if true north ever became distorted a little, it would set this world off its axis Spiritually in America, that's where we are because anything goes. And that affects our belief system because it begins to make us doubt. Why would God let this happen? Why would God allow this? And that seems to be the chief question today. When it comes in, it will affect you. And the problem is the way culture is. It always permeates the church. This culture created something else. And I came up with my own ism. I call it ignore-ism. Yeah. If you don't read the Bible, folks, you're ignoring it. 
and you are an ignorist. Because just because it's in your house or in your hand, is it in your mind? And as a student in college, I realized I could not take my philosophy book or my mathematic book, put it on my bed, lay my head on it, sleep all night, and wake up and know what was in that book. And that's where we are. We're asleep. We're holding it. We're defending it. But we're ignoring the truth. And you see, that's what Peter was afraid of. He wanted us to be strong and established, understanding false teachers, false doctrine. He wanted us to realize that Scripture is reliable for life. We too many times have put the tag on the Bible as, boom, book of rules. And nobody likes rules. Our natural nature shuns away from being told what to do. The Word of God is not a book of don'ts. It is a book of here's how to live life to the very fullest Go through every storm, every tragedy in life, and survive with the hope of Christ. That's the Word of God. It is truth. And what it does, it says, if this is your life, these are the outcomes. And if this is your life and disobedient to God, this is the outcome. And so what it is, what do you do with the Word of God? What do you do with it? Is it applicable? Is it like taking nourishment in? Is it like the vitamins that you take? Is it a part of your life? See, that's what Peter was thinking about. In Second Peter chapter 1, beginning verse 16, we find these words. Now, Peter is defending his writings. He said, we, who is that? The apostles did not follow cleverly invented stories. That, for the most part, is what philosophy is about. They are cleverly created stories. They have someone named Satan who helps them in these things. And Satan will put just the inkling of truth in something to lure you in. Let me give you an example. Today, the word inclusive. It's a great word. But it's used as a slam against the body of Christ because we are not inclusive. And yet we are. The church is welcoming to all people. Jesus Christ so loved the world that he died on the cross to save people. The issue is, do you know him? And it is inclusive to all who come to Christ and follow him. When we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is not a secondary account. We're eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I am, I love, with him I am well pleased. That's from the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, all the mountain. Moses, Elijah, joined with Christ. The voice from heaven came. We ourselves heard this voice 
and we came from heaven, which came from heaven, and we were with them on that sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention. In other words, he's going back. He's going back. The prophets begin to say what would occur. God from heaven confirmed what the prophet was saying. And it is like a light shining in a dark place until the dawn and the morning star arises in your heart. This morning star refers to the sun. There is a star that comes out right before dawn. And as that dawn begins to break, then the sun comes up. He's using that as Jesus himself shining and arising in our hearts. As I come over to, to work on Monday morning, it's, it's very dark. And I get just the other side of the land or sometimes this side of the land. And, and you can see the sky begin to lighten up. And if there's clouds in the sky, the rays of sunshine are coming out like a huge fan. And as I drive, it gets larger and larger till it fills the space with its glory. This is what he's talking about. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. The personality of that prophet that wrote, his who he is, you can read the different writers, their personalities, their lives, their likes and their dislikes comes out, but it's not their own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That is the word of God. That is what Peter wanted to encourage you. And it's just not Peter. Paul encourages in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. So then, men ought to regard, to regard us as servants, talking about himself, and as those who entrusted with the secret things of God. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove to be worthy. Paul is saying, we have been given something with this sacred word. We have been given something with the salvation in the life in Christ. And we become servants and like a steward who is in charge of his master's wealth, his property, and all things, just like in creation, when God created Adam and Eve, he said to them, go and replenish the earth. Be guardians of this earth. Be caretakers of this earth. It's the same thing when Christ comes in. We are stewards of this word that has changed our life. And our, it is required that a steward is faithful. To faithfully manage that himself. And to faithfully discharge his duties as sharing that message. John encourages the church in Samaria in Revelation 2. 1 through 10, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these are the words of him, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. But look at this. Be faithful even to the point of death. 
and I will give you the crown of life. You know, one thing I, I think is, hurts us in America, we don't face that persecution. The persecution of life and death, persecution of losing family and friends, losing employment. But as I read the word of God, I am to prepare myself to give my life for Christ. Have you ever sat down and wondered if it came to the point of denying Christ and living or to stand for Christ and die? What would you really do? From the comforts of our home and the the fact that we know the police are not going to knock down our door. But we as Christians must be prepared that if necessary, we give our life. Because what we have been given, who Jesus Christ is that valuable. It is your life. When you read the book of martyrs, there's a statement that comes out. They generally put them on a time to a post, put wood around them and set them. And before they set them on fire, they give them one last chance to deny the faith. And basically in today's uh, vernacular, here's what every martyr said. Let it burn, baby. Let it burn. I'm going to stand with Christ. Well, you say those are New Testament guys. What about Old Testament? All right, there's a guy named Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3. Here's what he said. And he, that is God, talking to Ezekiel, said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. It was the word of God. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he, then he said to me, Son of man, eat the scroll that I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted sweet as honey. In my mouth. I looked that up. Why would it be sweet as honey? Here's what I found out. Eating honey will settle your stomach and comet and prevent ulcers. Every young pastor, I tell them to get five gallons of honey, put it in their office, and keep on eating it. You see, The honey settled him because he was going to a rebellious house of Israel. They had rejected God. They worshiped idols. They were actually opposing God. And he was to go and speak to them. It became sweet as honey. It settled him. I found out it's also an anti-inflammatory, an antioxidant, and an antibacterial agent. Honey is good. The word of God is good. It settles our life. It settles us through storms of life. It settles us when everything in our natural being is screaming out and crying. The word of God is that settling effect. That it's almost like a wave as you begin to remember As you begin to rehearse in your mind the promises and the truths of God, it begins to settle you. Well, the Hebrew writer had this to say, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He said, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, because what we have heard so that we do not drift away. This is a nautical term. It's like a boat being anchored. The anchor slips, 
and it begins to drift away from the original spot. He said, we got to be careful that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by the angels was binding and every violation and disobedient received, it's just punishment. How should we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? A salvation, great salvation, I believe, connotates two things. It is the salvation that God begins to awaken us that we need. When we're lost, we begin to become unsettled. The Spirit of God begins to move in us that we, we need help. We need salvation and we can't do it ourselves. It's not available to be bought. We couldn't even maintain it if it could. He began to speak to us and he calls us and we accept and receive Christ. That's how do you ignore such a great salvation? Second meaning, we are living every day as Christians in the salvation of the Lord. Do you realize that? So many times things in the Bible, we think it's one and done. Now, I'm not saying we live and earn our salvation, but just as we come to Christ, we begin to live in Christ. And the only way to navigate this world in Christ is through the Word of God. We've seen it's a calming effect. It's a challenging effect and also a warning. When you read in the Bible, the, the angels are talking about, or Satan and his demons are trying to overtake and take hell. God, our heaven, God cast them out and sent them into the depths of hell. If they did not escape the punishment of ignoring and disobeying God, the Hebrew writer is saying, how can we escape? And that's a rhetorical question. We cannot escape. Psalms 19 is probably the most monumental statement on what the Word of God is. I mean, you, you need to, to know this psalm because it is the greatest commentary and it was written by a man called David, the guy who went from a shepherd boy to the king of the great nations. In it, it there are teachings, divine instructions, I have people ask me every day, Pastor, what am I going to do? It's here. Every situation in life is covered. Not only that, it will rebuke wrong doctrine and wrong behavior. Many people stay away from the Word of God for the same reason they stay away from church. They're afraid the pastor or the Bible is going to talk about their favorite sin and they don't want to hear it. When you stay away from the Word of God, don't forget you have the Spirit of God that will raise up the Word of God. I find it great every day as I have a certain books of the Bible that I read every day just to start my day to get me on the right path. And it's the Word of God all day to keep me there. It will correct you. It will restore you to a proper condition. And it's training how many times do I hear people say, I don't know how to do this. The Word of God trains us for life and righteousness. By life, I mean your secular life. What kind of employee are you supposed to be? How faithful are you to be? 
What are you supposed to be as a mother, a father, grandfather, grandmother, great-grandparent? It's instructive. It teaches us. It has all the answers in life that you ask somebody else to answer, and the Bible is in your hand. That's the go-to book. Let's look at Psalm 19, beginning in verse 7. The law of God is perfect, without spot, without blemish, without waving, and it revives the soul. This simply states a a very big truth. The Bible actually tells us what we believe, what we are, and what we do. That is the Word of God. What do we believe? We believe the Word of God. And we have to know the Word of God in order to believe the Word of God. Then the Bible will define who we are. It uses examples like a bad tree will give bad fruit. A good tree will give good fruit. It tells us what we... And then it tells us because of what we believe, what we do. That's why we serve. That's why we give. That's why we pray. That's why we go. That's why we encourage. Because the Word of God says in the life of a believer, this is what you believe. This is what you do. Because of what you are. Go ahead. The statues. Another. If you've all, I'm, I'm, I hope you've read Psalms 119. They use many, many different words for the law, but it all refers to the same thing. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Thank God. If you want to know about the word, If you want to stop being, you know, simple simply means that you really don't have any thoughts. You just kind of go like the waves, like tossing a piece of uh, bread on the water and it'll just float wherever it carries you. If you're tired of that, the Word of God will, will give you that knowledge. The precepts of the Lord are right. That word is a very strong meaning. It means right. It's unmovable. It's like the rock of Gibraltar. I'm waiting for the woke up crowd to deny the rock of Gibraltar. I mean, they're denying everything else. But it just, it just shows, while they're maybe stupid in what they do, they're not ignorant because the rock of Gibraltar has been there. And I don't know how long it's been there, but it's there. You can't deny it. The precepts of the Lord are right and it gives joy. Think about that. When somebody proves you wrong, does that bring you joy? In a marriage, that'll usually bring you to a fight. <laughs> right? It, it, it'll get you there real quick. But the truth of Scripture, absolutely truth, they'll give you joy in your heart because you know it's true. And if, and if you're not living, standing every day in that truth, it corrects you. And says, come back to here. The joy of the Lord will return. The commandments of the Lord are radiant. Do you look at the commandments of the Lord as radiant? No. We, we have looked at the commandments of God as handcuffing us. But in reality, Jesus came and set prisoners free. He came to take the shackles off of those who are addicted 
He doesn't unlock them. He destroys them. They're gone. This, they're radiant because they are freedom to live life the way God created you to live. And it gives light to the eyes. It shows you where you're going. The fear of the Lord is pure and it endures forever. Not going to drop. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and are altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold. Much more precious than pure gold. They are sweeter than, sweeter than honey settling the soul. More than honey from the comb. You ever eat honey out of honeycomb? I'm from the country. And we used to find those wild bees. Get some smoke going and move them away and take that honeycomb off. Boy, that was good. That's the scripture, the word of God. By them is your servant, you and I, we're warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. You see, there is a reward for living righteous lives. There is a reward. Now, if you go back a few verses, it said more precious than gold. The culture today measures reward by what you have. How much money? How many toys? How much this? But the reward, great reward, is Christ himself that is imperishable. It does not fade. And it does not pass away. And no one can steal it. Who then can discern his errors? Here's a prayer. Forgive my hidden faults. That's stuff y'all don't know about and I don't know about you. Keep your servant from willful sins. In every life there's there's a list of sins we stay away from. But there's some others that in their way give us a false sense of comfort. I, I don't know why that is. But those are the ones we come back to. And, and we don't want, Lord, forgive me all of my sins except these. I need these. Keep me from welfare sin. May they not rule over me. Again, in Christ, you're free. Paul asks us, why would you subject yourself to bondage again? It's a great question. Then I will be blameless. Innocent of great transgression. Our walk before God is not perfect. It's not meant to be ever. What it's meant to be is blameless. As we walk before God every day, are we blameless? What that simply means is when we have sinned against God. And that sin may be committing something. That sin may simply not doing something God wants you to do. Disobedience to God is sin. But if you have grabbed 1 John 1, 9 and confessed that sin before God, repented and turned away, Scripture says, He, Jesus, is faithful and righteous to forgive us and cleanse us from all sin. That's walking blameless before God. No unforgiven sin in your life. Closing prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart,
be pleasing in your sight. It's a prayer that I pray all the time. Lord, it's the meditations of my heart. It's the words of my mouth. The words of your mouth will tell you the meditations of your heart. Are they acceptable to you? And if they are acceptable to you, it should fortify you not to care who they're not acceptable to. Now, what's the result of this? What is the outcome of a life devoted to obeying scriptures? Psalms 92, 15, 12 through 15. The righteous will flourish like the palm tree. They will grow like the cedars of Lebanon. Throughout the word of God, the cedars of Lebanon, the palms have have been the mark of permanence. Majesty, beauty that stands out in the, the desert, stands out above every other tree. It is a permanence. The righteous will flourish, planted in the house of the Lord. This is like being a tree in the courtyard of the Lord where it is well tended and cared for and watered. That courtyard of the Lord literally refers to planted in the presence of God. He is that one who cares for us. They will flourish in the courts of our Lord. You'll cur- you will flourish in his presence. They will still, now this, this is good. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. The reward of a lifetime of obedience to scripture is that when you get old like us, we're still fruitful. Have you ever rode around in Florida and saw an orange grove that they quit fertilizing, quit hoeing around it, quit taking care of it? It doesn't bear any fruit. It's just there. Many times bare leaves. Being a native, I ride by there and just shake my head. How could somebody let it go? This is not just something for you and I as old. Young people, if you want to flourish in this world, if you want to end up right. Listen, as I talk to young people, it takes them until they get to their 40s, 50s, and sometimes 60s until they ever think about dying. How do you want to die? Do you want to finish well? Do you want to be able to walk into heaven, see Jesus Christ, say, I fought battles, I was overcome sometime, but I've remained faithful, Lord. You know, I've had people say, well, it doesn't matter to me if I just slip into heaven the back way. I don't think a Christian could ever really think about that. How do you face Jesus when he has equipped us? To finish strong and even in old age be fruitful. Amen. That's the question. That's the goal. The first reality of understanding scripture is this. 
to know Jesus Christ, the author of Scripture. As Jesus talks to you, as he, he begins to point out things in your life that, you see, sins in our life hurt us. <laughs> Jesus don't want to hurt us. He wants the best for us. He says you need a Savior. If you have never come to Christ right now today, you need to reach out. If you're listening online and you've never accepted Christ, but right now you know you need a Savior, please hit that I have decided. We'll contact you. We want you to know Christ. Christian friends, is your life marked by love of and an obedience to Scripture. If you're not flourishing, and if you're fainting in life more than flourishing, I would say my best prescription is the honey of the Word of God. Father, today, I just claim the promise that as your Word goes forth, it will accomplish in our lives exactly what you have sent it out to accomplish. And will not return to you void. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.